Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so grateful that you're here. And it is Father's Day. And I know we have already celebrated our fathers earlier, but I just don't think you can do it too much. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask in this congregation here at the Sugarland campus and online at, and, and at the Darrington campus, if you are a father, where are you, wherever you are, would you stand right now and let's give it up for our dads today. I have to tell you the greatest privilege outside of knowing Jesus Christ as my savior, the greatest privilege that I've ever had in my life is to partner with my wife, Kathy, in the raising of our two sons. Our two sons who grew up to know the Lord, love the Lord, and be men of character. And there is nothing that brings a greater sense of satisfaction to my heart than those two guys. And in now having the opportunity to spoil my four grandchildren. And my grandchildren are watching this service right now and they're already thinking, Poppy, we are not spoiled. And I know it, but you only have your mother and father to thank for that because grandparents' jobs are to spoil their grandkids and parents' jobs are to undo it. That's how it all works. There were three guys who were waiting, they were expectant fathers and they were waiting for the birth of their children and a nurse came in and went to the first of those fathers and said to that dad, congratulations, you are the father of twins. And he said, I'm so happy, I'm so excited. I am a baseball player for the Minnesota twins and now I have twins. Well, about 15 minutes later, this nurse came right back in and went to the second father and said to the second father, congratulations, you are now the father of triplets. And he said, I'm so excited. I work for 3M company and now I have three kids. And immediately when this came out of his mouth, the third father fainted and fell onto the floor. They finally aroused him and the nurse said, sir, what happened to you? And he said, I work for the seven up company. <laughs> it's just so good to hear laughter when you say something like that. William Henley lived in the 19th century and he was an atheist and he spent all of his adult life ridiculing and belittling and berating other people who believed in the existence of God and hating Christians. He's the guy that wrote the famous poem Invictus. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. William Henley died in 1903 
And I've got good news for you. He is not an atheist now. The Bible says in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But I will tell you who is the greater fool. The greater fool is the person who believes in God, but his life doesn't act like it. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. We've been in a series entitled Authentic Christianity. And we have dealt with some pretty in-your-face topics as we've been walking through this section in the book of James. And again, James does the same thing. He talks about getting our priorities straight. And he talks about not only knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior, but acting like it. So listen to what he says in James chapter 4 and beginning in verse 13. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, though, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows to do the right thing and does not do it, to him it is sin. So what is James teaching us about life in this passage of scripture? Well, very simply, the first one is always make your plans with God in mind. We are to plan. If we fail to plan, we are planning to fail as the statement goes. And Jesus himself talked about the importance of it in this statement in Luke chapter 14 in verse 28, when he said, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. What Jesus is actually saying in the verse is that a person who doesn't plan and prepare is foolish. But a person who does plan and prepare is wise. So now listen again to what James said in verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, you will go in such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. What is wrong with the sentence? Nothing. I mean, that is a reasonable sentence. Except for one thing, there's just one thing missing. There is no acknowledgement of the will of God. There is no acknowledgement of caring about the will of God. And that is what James is actually talking about. James is saying, always include God in your plans. In the Reader's Digest, there's an article, and isn't it amazing, after all these years, the Reader's Digest is still there. And the Reader's Digest, there's an article by Alexander Saul, and here's what he says. And he, is a, he was a Russian, uh, he, he was not necessarily, he wasn't a Russian, but he was, a, he was an historian who studied and taught on Russian history, and especially the Russian Revolution. And here's what he said. I have spent almost 50 years working on the history of the Russian Revolution. And in the process, I have interviewed over 100 testimonies of people that were there, read hundreds of books, and added eight more books of my own. But if I were asked today to formulate precisely the pos, uh, as possible the main cause for the ruinous revolution that took 60 million Russian lives, 
I could not more accurately state it than this. Men have forgotten God. What is more, if I were called upon to identify the principal trait of the entire 20th century, I would not be able to reflect anything more precise than this statement. People have forgotten God. What James is telling us is it is possible to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to commit your heart by faith to Christ and then go out and live any way that you think and totally forget God in your plans. That is what he's saying. So I'm asking the question today, in your practical life, in your everyday life, what difference is Jesus Christ actually making in how you live your life, in your business? Can you do a business deal in which you know if I do this business deal that I, I have to sacrifice part of my character? I have to surrender part of my integrity, but I've got to do this deal. Do you still do the deal? How is it that you perform at your job? Do you give it everything that you have? How do you treat your fellow uh, work associates at your job? How do you treat your boss? How, if you are a boss, how do you treat others who work for you? What difference is Jesus Christ actually making practically in your career or in your school? If you're a student, what difference does Jesus Christ make in how you prepare for a test and how you, how you take the test and how you do your homework and how you treat your, your classmates, your friends at school and how you treat the kid in your class and there always seems to be a kid in the class who doesn't feel included, who feels somehow ostracized and what is your role as a follower of Jesus Christ with that child and how you treat your teachers and if you're a teacher, how you treat your students. And how about at home? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your house? Do you honestly and truthfully seek the will of God for your house, for your home, for your family and strive to live out that will? What difference by the fact that you are a follower of Christ does it make in how you treat your spouse, in how you treat your children, in how you treat your parents, and how you live out your life in your home. What I'm saying, what James is saying is, in everyday practical life, are you living like an atheist? Are you really living as a Christ follower? James is simply saying, would you open your heart to the will of God? Would you open your heart to the leadership of God in your life? Well, how in the world will I know the will of God in my life? Most of the time, it is a principle that comes directly out of the Bible. This is why I've said so many times in my ministry, one of the great things you can do is read the chapter of Proverbs that corresponds with the day of the month because you will learn so many principles about the heart of God through that. But all through the word of God, the more you pour your heart into the word of God and it into your heart, the more you will begin to understand the will of God. And his spirit will bring that, those principles back to your heart. Here is what God promises you in Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do and he will direct your path. In other words, your job is not to try to figure out the will of God. Your job is to seek his will in everything you do. And he makes this promise, don't you worry. You don't have to worry about it. I will lead you. If your heart is open to me, I will lead you. May be a verse I bring back to your heart. It may just simply be my leaning and leadership in your heart. One of the things that freed my heart decades ago was a verse of scripture, simple verse of scripture in which he simply said in John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Well, I am his sheep. And he made a promise, don't you worry. You open your heart to hear my voice, I'll make sure you know which direction to go. The first thing that that, uh, James says to us is, open your heart to the will of God. The second thing he says is simply this, do good today. Do good today. Look at what he says in verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. One of the applications of the verse, only one, but one of the applications of this verse is the issue of procrastination. Procrastination is my sin. It only caused me sorrow. I know I ought to change my ways. In fact, I will tomorrow. In the book of Proverbs, do you notice how many times in my ministry that I quote from the book of Proverbs? In the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 27 and 28, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it to you tomorrow when you now have it with you today. There are three ways in which we live our lives. The time that we have on this earth, we either spend it or we waste it or we invest it. And God is saying to us, I want you to invest your life. I want you to make a difference in the lives of other people. Invest your lives in things that lasts. You came to know Jesus as your savior. Hopefully, those that are, that are listening to me, you've given your heart to Jesus Christ. And now, as a follower of Jesus Christ, God did not just give you salvation, he gave you a purpose for living. And he is saying to you, would you walk every step of your life with purpose in those steps? How do you do that? Well, I know Christ is Savior, and I'm striving to know his word, and I'm trying to live out the principles that he gives me in his word. But there's four questions that you need to ask and answer in the process of all of that. Ask yourself, how do I want to be remembered by my family? One day, when it's your turn to go to heaven, and your body is put in a casket, and your family has gathered How do you want them to remember you? How do I want to be remembered by my family? How do I want to be remembered by my friends? 
How do I want to be remembered by the people at my work? How do I want to be remembered by the people at my church? Part of living with purpose in every step is to understand where you're going. Having an idea of how my life is to be lived and how I'm to do it. The Peace Corps had a slogan and it said this, it doesn't matter how long you live if you're not doing anything with your life. So great, you get to 40. But what difference does it mean if you've just been living life, but not making any impact or difference in the lives of anybody else for the last 20 years? What difference does it make that you get to 60 or 80 or 100 if you're not doing anything with your life? That's what James is talking about. Live today. Make your life count. How do I do that? How do I want people to remember me in my life? Include God in your plans. Do good today. But there's a third thing that James teaches us, and that is make the most of your tomorrow. There is in an Indiana cemetery, for real, there is in an Indiana cemetery, it's been there for over 100 years, a, t- a tombstone that has these words etched on it. Get ready. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Talk about eerie. Please do not put this on my tombstone. I do not want those words. There's other things I could have better picked. But somebody came along sometime, nobody knows when, maybe with a key or a knife, and etched in these words just below it. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) James chapter 4, verse 14 and 16, listen to what he says. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Now what James is laying out for us in these verses are two key principles. Grab hold of them. First is life is unpredictable. He says in verse 14, you do not know if there is anything these last four months have convinced us of. We'll probably be thinking of these last four months and the months to come for the rest of our lives. Who could have possibly seen this coming? Life is unpredictable. Proverbs 27, one, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring forth. James is simply quoting Proverbs. The second principle is this, life is brief. James 4, verse 14, you are a mist. That word, you, you know, in the Greek language, the, the, the New Testament was, was written in the Greek language. And in the Greek language, this word mist is translated atmos, atmos. It is from the word that we get, the word atmosphere, atmosphere. He is saying you're just due in the morning. 
and within a couple of hours it's gone. You are just a fog that rolls in and is then burned away. You are like a leaf that was green in a couple of months is brown. You are like a piece of grass that is green and then dies. And some of you are saying, and I got up to come to church today to hear this. James is saying, it's time to get very sober about your life. Don't just live it. Your life's got to matter. It's got to have a sense of meaning to it because our life is unpredictable and our life is brief. And it's true, it doesn't take long to go from the Hot Wheels to the wheelchair. We gotta make the most of this, so how do we do it? Well, the very first part of the solution is make sure you are ready to meet God. Make sure that you know God as your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse seven, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. If it's ever angered you that, that these Christians say that Jesus is the only way to salvation, oh, how dare you? How could you even say such a thing? With all the religions in the world, how could you make a statement like that? How arrogant you are. Don't be mad at Christians. Be mad at Jesus. Jesus is the one that said it. I'm the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Well, how could he have the audacity to say such a thing? With all the other religions in the world, how could Jesus make such a claim as that? I will tell you how he could, because he's the only one that rose from the grave. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the game changer. Every other religious leader is dead and buried and in his tomb. But Jesus Christ arose the third day and lives forevermore. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that changed everything. It is not just a matter of faith. It is an historic record. I want to encourage you. You've got any questions about the resurrection? I'm not sure about the resurrection. I think this is just a hoax kind of thing. I want to encourage you to read Gary Habermas's book called the, Res the Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. It is a phenomenal book. He takes all of the arguments that are both pro and con. He brings them together and he works through the whole debate. And he comes to an understanding of why this man, Gary Habermas, who was an atheist, who became a Christian and now is a Christian professor, how he came to the conclusion that atheism was wrong and that Christianity is true. Give him the opportunity to show you in his book, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. How does a person come to know Jesus as Savior? Well, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord. It means that you take yourself off the throne of your life and you put Jesus on the throne of your life. When you take yourself off the throne of your life, you're actually, don't know it, you don't realize it, you're actually taking Satan off the throne of your life. And you put Jesus Christ on the throne of your life. I want you to call the shots. 
I'm going to follow you. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord, my boss. And you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Not good enough to believe with your mind. Of course I believe mentally in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No, it's got to go all the way to your heart. It has done something to me. I so believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It has done something in me. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you're saved. And Jesus Christ comes to live in your heart and he begins to change you from the inside. And it all starts there. And if you are listening online today or you are in this room today and you have not given your heart to Jesus Christ, there is an online Next Step Center. And in a few moments at the end of this message, you're going to hear about that Next Step Center and how you can go there and talk to one of our ministers about how you can give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. But there's a second thing, plan well for tomorrow, but live well today. Don't give, how do you do that? Don't give yourself to worry. Jesus said, don't be anxious about tomorrow because God will take care of your tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. It doesn't mean that you cancel your life insurance policy. If you die, your family's gonna need that. But it does mean that you cancel your worry and your fear and you decide to trust God. At age 20, we worry about what other people think of us. At age 40, we decide, I don't really care what anybody thinks of me. And at age 60, you discover nobody was even thinking about you in the first place. (laughs) Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says it this way, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The word faith means the trusting obedience to the revealed will of God. Faith is not doing something crazy. Faith is not doing something daring. Faith is obeying the revealed will of God. Sometimes people live with presumption upon God thinking it's faith. When you hear God, when he tells you what to do, and you obey, that is faith. Don't give yourself to worry. Second of all, give yourself to right choices. Proverbs chapter three, verses one and two. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Not talking necessarily about financial prosperity, though he will bless you even financially, but he's talking about prosperity of life. And what he says is this, if you will listen to the principles of my word and you will hide them in your heart so that they become of value to you, they mean something to you, and you strive to live them out, 
I will keep you from so many things that would have taken your life early. I will bless you. I will watch over your life. And I will give you the great privilege of living life in all its fullness. That's what the verse is teaching. And here's the third thing, last thing. Decide to enjoy life today. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Timothy reminds us not to place an emphasis on our life on the uncertainty of riches, but he says, on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. You know what I, I think so many Christians have missed the last two words. God is actually wanting us to enjoy life. He, he is actually wanting us to live life. And every time, every day that we live, to make the most of that day. These are the good old days. Has no one told you, Mark, that this is coronavirus days? Yeah, yeah, they have. But let me tell you, these are the good old days. Because what Satan meant for evil, God has turned for good. What Satan wanted to use to wound us and destroy us, God has only tied us together with even stronger cords. See, every day we live are the good old days. And one day we'll look back on these days and we will remember what God did and how he blessed and how he led. So remember what David said in Psalm 35 verse 15, Lord, my days are in your hands. Decide to give this day and tomorrow and the next day to him and open your heart to the will of God. Open your heart to say, God, would you lead me and guide me? Because I don't want to just live another 10 years or another 20 years or another 50 years and just live out life. I want my life to have purpose in every step. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we come to you today and Lord, we acknowledge to you, we need you. And Father, I pray for every person that is listening to me today that has not given their heart to Jesus Christ. They can today. And oh, Father, I pray you would move in hearts today to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, to accept Jesus Christ into their heart, to take themselves, take Satan really off the throne of their heart and put God on the throne. Jesus Christ, you be in charge. And then to live every day of our lives and saying, Jesus, would you lead me? Would you guide me? I want to live today. I don't want to let this day go by without having lived and make a difference. There's somebody that I need to encourage. There is someone that I need to express love to. There is someone that I need to do something good for. Oh, God, use this day. I want to make the most of this day. Father, move in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.